When I was about 14 years old, I was part of a hiking expedition, uh, as many school children do um, in England. And we spent about two days walking around the countryside, going from point to point to test different skills. And as you can imagine, one of the most important skills that we were testing during this time was our ability to be able to read a map and to be able to go in the right direction. You're not going to get very far in the right direction unless you know how to read a map. But here's the thing. Any of you who have experienced being told, being given directions by multiple people while driving, you will know that there is a time and a place for, for more input, for more people. And that time and that place is not for directions. That time and that place is not for driving. The time and the place is not for hiking. That's the time where you only want one person giving you directions. And so our group would take it in turns uh, with the map, and we would faithfully follow whoever was leading us, guiding us at that time. But another thing that you may know is that not everyone is as equally gifted with the skill of map reading and just naturally knowing directions. And so we had uh, varying levels of competency. And you would expect that since the, we were already in the countryside, we were already taking the scenic route. But um, turns out there was an even more scenic route that we could have taken and that we did take and that one of my friends decided to take us on for a while. So we spent about uh, four hours taking a, a, a detour on what felt to me like a, a very long hike as it was. The main theme of the passage that we're looking at this morning is following. Uh, more specifically than that, it's beginning to follow Jesus. We're going to read this in a moment, but basically the story is Jesus is walking along the sea and he meets some fishermen and he says something really simple to them. He says, follow me. And they respond. They drop everything and they follow him. And this forces us to ask ourselves some questions. Like who or what are we currently following? Are we following someone who can meet, read a map correctly? Or are they going to take us on a, a, the scenic route? Are they misleading us? And how will we respond to Jesus' call to follow him? And what does it even mean to follow Jesus anyway? These are some of the questions that we're going to be looking at this morning. So why don't you go ahead and open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 4, and we will read verses 18 to 22 together. It's a short passage this morning. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the, bo in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them, Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through this. We ask that we would engage our hearts and our minds and that we would hear and respond to what you are telling us this morning. In your name, amen. Over the next few weeks, we're going to start looking at one of the greatest sections of Matthew's gospel, the Sermon on the Mount. It's this this beautiful set of teachings that Jesus gives to his disciples about what it means to follow him. What kind of life that looks like. But here, just before the Sermon on the Mount, we have another section on what it means to follow Jesus. What does it mean to begin to follow Jesus? And this is in some ways even more foundational than the Sermon on the Mount. And there's at least three points, three main points to this passage that we're looking at. The first point is that following Jesus means that we follow Jesus. I know what you're thinking. Simon, you really didn't get much sleep last night. <laughs> and that's true. But, but I wrote this before then. <laughs> following Jesus means to follow Jesus. Sounds a bit redundant, but here's the point. Here's the emphasis that I want to make. It's on that last word, Jesus. Jesus doesn't just say, follow. He says, follow me follow Jesus, which begs the question, who is this guy? Why should we follow Jesus? Uh, Who is he? How is he different from other people? What is he offering us that other people can't offer us? And even in the first four chapters of Matthew, which is 28 chapters long, we see this remarkable portrait painted of Jesus, of who he is and why he is worthy of being followed. Chapter 1, Jesus is introduced as the Messiah, God's anointed one, who has been anointed for a special purpose. He's the son of David, the long-awaited king of kings. He's even more than that. He's Emmanuel, God with us the eternal and infinite Son of God in the form of a finite human being. And to prove all of this, the way that he is born is in the most unique way in all of human history, from a virgin. Even before Jesus can walk, even before he can talk, it's demonstrated that this is a unique individual. Chapter 2, while he's still a child, men from the east, from distant lands, travel all the way to come and see him, to bow down to him, and to worship him. Chapter 3, Jesus' own relative, John the Baptist, recognizes how special he is. He isn't even worthy to carry Jesus' sandals. And then God himself breaks open the heavens and declares, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Chapter 4, just before our passage, Jesus proves that he is unlike anyone else as he resists the temptation of the devil. All of us have failed in some way, in many ways, 
whether we have lied, whether we've been mean, whether we've gossiped, whether we've been selfish, but not Jesus. Jesus is not like other people. That's been made pretty clear so far. Jesus is not like other people. This passage isn't just about the idea of following something, but following a very specific person. A unique man with a unique message and a unique power. And that man is Jesus. There are a lot of people in the world that want to be followed. There's journalists, there's authors, and there's politicians. If you spend any time on social media, you will know and have experienced that it is filled with people trying to gain followers, influencers trying to build a group of faithful disciples. And it's been that way all throughout history. But Jesus has a unique resume. He isn't just one among many. This isn't just about following something, anything, so that we feel like we have a purpose in life. It really, it actually matters who or what we follow. Do they deserve it? Can they live up to our expectations? Are they reliable? And the answer is yes to every single one of those for Jesus. The second point is that following Jesus means becoming fishers of people. The first words that come out of Jesus' mouth are pretty simple. Follow me. Two words in English. This next phrase is a bit stranger. Follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Now, I may not be an expert on fishing. By any means. <laughs> Thanks, Emily, for laughing. <laughs> I'm not an expert on fishing by any means. But if there's one thing I know about fishing, it's this, which is that when you, you, know, you cast in the line and you pull the fish out, pull it out of the water, it dies. That's kind of <laughs> fundamental to fishing. The fish dies. So the question is, what exactly is Jesus talking about here? Because it doesn't sound exactly, uh, I don't know, like hopeful, I guess. So what's Jesus talking about? And here's what I think is going on. Jesus is using some of that classic Jesus irony here. Jesus loves to use teaching in a way that shows how his kingdom is the world flipped upside down. He says that those who are high and mighty will be brought low. And those who are lowly will be raised up. He says that the rich will become poor. And the poor are rich. And it's in being caught by Jesus that we gain true freedom. It's in being pulled out of the waters of sin that we can breathe spiritually for the first time. Ephesians chapter 2 explains this. God, 
being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. People are not meant to live in water. Actually, people drown when they're in water, when they try to live in water. When Jesus fishes for us, he catches us and he resurrects us. He gives us new life. And it's this work that every follower of Jesus is called to. They're called to the work of Jesus himself. Guiding others to the new life that they have found in Jesus. The fundamental idea of this section is that followers of Jesus make followers of Jesus. We multiply. It's the same principle found in uh, the last two verses of Matthew's gospel. The Great Commission. The last thing that Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew's gospel. Go, therefore, and make disciples, make followers of all nations. In the ancient world, and it's the same today, the idea behind following a great teacher was that you would learn and you would grow as a student. And one day, you would be promoted, in a sense. You would, you would grow beyond your teacher. You would grow so much that you outgrew the teacher. You would become a teacher as well. And you would then begin to gain followers for yourself. And so the classic example of this is Aristotle, the, the Greek, ancient Greek philosopher, who was a student of Plato, another ancient Greek philosopher. And Aristotle didn't remain a student of Plato his whole life. He outgrew Plato. He developed his own school of philosophy, and he gained followers himself. But followers of Jesus are different. Followers of Jesus are lifelong students. We never outgrow Jesus. We never make our own school of teaching. We always follow him. And our calling will always be to make followers of Jesus, not to make followers of ourselves. And notice exactly what Jesus says here. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. It's a promise. Your translation might say, Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Or maybe it says, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And these are both true. Jesus does send out his followers, and he does show them how to fish for people. But I'm not sure that's exactly what this passage is saying. I think the first translation gets it right. I will make you fishers of people. It's not just a promise about what Jesus will do with the fishermen, but it's a promise of who he is going to transform them into. 
Jesus transforms his followers into fishers of people. And there is a tension between Jesus' promise and between our responsibility to carry this out. But I believe that this promise means that for those who truly try to be fishers of people, Jesus will make them succeed. He will not let you fail. He will make it so. That's what that promise means. For those of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus, have we taken hold of the promise to become fishers of people? Are we stepping out in faith to share the good news? And I know, I know that this is not the easiest of times. But maybe it's helpful to remember that there have been many periods in church history, many brothers and sisters in the past and around the world that faced difficult and unique circumstances. But the good news finds a way. There is always a way to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. So my question is, can we get creative? Can we write a letter to our neighbors, telling them that we're thinking of them, asking them if if they need anything during this time? Can we invite someone to watch one of these services? We've got Easter coming up soon. I think there's a lot of people that need the hope of Easter. I think there really is. I think we would be surprised at how the Spirit of God is at work in people. Can we ask someone what we can be praying for? How can we be making those connections during this time in order to be able to step out in faith? Are we going to live out our callings as fishers of people? So following Jesus means following Jesus, and it means uh, becoming fishers of people. And thirdly, following Jesus means total submission. Verses 20 to 22. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. There is an urgency to these fishermen's response. Two times, it says immediately. Peter and Andrew immediately left their nets. James and John immediately leave their boat and their father and follow Jesus. What it comes down to is the question, is Jesus Lord? If the answer to that question is yes, then there's no reason to wait. There's no reason to hesitate. There is nothing holding you back. Life is temporary. Hasn't the last year proven that? 
we like to imagine that we're invincible. Even if we wouldn't say it like that, how many of us consciously, regularly think about our death? The fact is, each of us will die one day. Might be 50 years, might be five years, might be five months, or might be five days or five hours or five minutes. One of the great unknowns of life is the moment at which we will die. And that is why there is an urgency to Jesus' call. The most important question of our lives is, will I follow Jesus? That is the most important decision of your life. It can't be put off, and we can't endlessly consider his invitation because time will run out right now and right here. Will you follow Jesus? That is what Jesus is saying to you this morning. Will you drop everything? Will you faithfully follow me? I'm here now. In addition to the urgency of the fisherman's response, there is a totality to their response. They leave their nets, they leave their boats, they even leave their dad. The idea isn't that they were going for a little walk and, you know, they'd be back later in the afternoon. This act is symbolic of their entire lives. Their entire lives were now dedicated to Jesus, to following him. Literally, they followed Jesus around. And symbolically, he would become first in their lives. Following Jesus always means that something has to be left behind. There are some things that are mutually exclusive. If I want to travel to New York, it means that I need to leave BC behind. If I want to become a prosecutor, it means I can't be a defense attorney. If we truly follow Jesus, it means we need to leave behind our sin and our ambition, our selfishness and control over our own lives. John Stott, who was a great British pastor, said that Jesus never concealed the fact that being his follower included a demand as well as an offer. Indeed, the demand was as total as the offer was free. If he offered people his salvation, he also demanded their submission. There's a story in the Old Testament about a woman named Naomi. And Naomi had uh, a husband and two sons. And there came a day where there was a famine in the land. And to save themselves from starving, this family traveled to a different land. And there they found food, and Naomi's sons even found wives. And over the time that they lived there, 
one by one, her family members died. Her husband died. And then her eldest son died. And then her youngest son died. And finally, all that was left was Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. And she made the decision that she was going to head back to the land from which she came. And when she made that decision, she said to her daughters-in-law, you guys can go home. Your husbands, my sons, have passed away. There's nothing left for you here. Go back to your own families, and I'll go back to, to my people. And one of those daughter-in-laws did that. But there was another one named Ruth. And Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. That's the kind of radical dedication, commitment, Follow, fellowship that Jesus calls his people to. If Jesus really is Lord and if we really are going to follow him, then there's no room for half-heartedness. There's no room for one foot in, one foot out. There's no room for hesitancy. He's either Lord or, or he's not. God doesn't call everyone to leave their jobs. He doesn't call everyone to leave their families. But he does call everyone to be willing to. And Maybe he calls you to do that. I'm sure that there are people watching now who are listening right now who have been rejected by their families because of their choice to follow Jesus. There are people who have left their families to travel far away to spread the good news of Jesus. There are some of you who have left your jobs for the same reason. The response of these fishermen is a challenge to those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus already. When I look at my own life and how consumed I can be with my own comfort, I am con convicted and challenged by the fact that there are some kids who are more dedicated to hockey than I am to following Jesus. Who are waking up at 5 a.m. every morning. Who are giving all of their time, their money, and their energy into that pursuit. Who are falling down time after time, bruised and broken and getting back up again because of how dedicated they are to their sport. We need to honestly ask ourselves the question, have I left everything to follow Jesus? Is Jesus first? Not, not marginally even, but is he on a whole different level than everything else? 
Is Jesus supreme over everything in my life? My career, my ambition, my time, my money, my family, my kids, my comfort. Even these dedicated fishermen who left everything to follow Jesus had times where they realized their lack of commitment to Jesus. Every single one of them deserted Jesus in his hour of need. But what set them apart was their growth. They made a a commitment. That day they left their nets on the ground, their nets were left for good. But they also rededicated their commitment to Jesus. They grew in their commitment to Jesus. And that is what we are called to as well. What am I clinging on to? Is there some net that I haven't left yet? Still just holding on to, just in case. Just something to fall back on. Finally, there's one more foundational truth to this whole passage that underlies this whole situation, which is that Jesus is the one who initiated this entire situation. He's the one who walked beside the sea. He's the one who sees the fishermen. He's the one who speaks first. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor in Germany during World War II and died for opposing Hitler, wrote that discipleship is not an offer that a person makes to Christ. This is exactly what we see in in this passage. The offer doesn't come from the fishermen. The offer comes from Jesus. He's the one who initiates this entire thing. The fishermen don't seek out Jesus. He seeks out them. In the ancient world, it was usual for students to pursue a teacher. And it's the same nowadays. Whether you are training to be an electrician or pursuing a PhD, you are the one who seeks out a supervisor. You seek out a teacher to learn from, to be trained by. And yet here, Jesus, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. He is the one that seeks out these fishermen. And he seeks out you. He seeks out each of us. The same invitation that was given to Peter and to Andrew, to James and to John, is given to us. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Today, this morning, Jesus is calling you. Will you follow him. Maybe someone invited you to watch this this morning. Maybe you just stumbled across this. Maybe you've been watching this for a while or been attending for a while, but you haven't made a decision. You need to know this. Jesus is reaching out to you and he is calling to you. He doesn't promise you that this is going to be easy. He doesn't promise that all your questions are suddenly going to go away. But he does promise you that it is worth it. That he is worth it. 
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how gracious are you that you seek us out. We look at the religions of the world and the message is we must seek God. We must seek the gods. We must seek enlightenment. But the message, the good news of you, Jesus, is just the opposite. You've already sought us. You've already invited us to follow you. You've already reached out your hand. And what other way would there be, Lord? We are sinful. You know our brokenness. You know how we have failed in so many different ways. You know better than we know ourselves. But you have not failed. You have not sinned. You are sinless. You offer us forgiveness. May we have faith. May we believe who you are that you said you are. May we follow you with our whole heart. Not look to the left, not look to the right, not look behind us. Follow you, eyes fixed on you each day of our lives. We thank you for this gift, Lord, the gift of following you. In your name, amen.